0: Marvelites, you are listening to Marvel's pull list for new Marvel comics on sale March 9th, 2022. I'm Ryan Penagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Jasmine, we are on the march to episode number 200. We are only nine episodes away. This is episode number 191, which we realized that together collectively as we're getting ready for this episode. Uh, what are we going to do for 200? We're going to go record on the moon? How about that?
1: I was thinking underwater. Um, Ooh. I I don't know if we can we can afford the budget for intergalactic travel or space travel,
0: but a submarine, maybe doable. We are the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, and we're gonna tell you all about the brand new issues this week. We're gonna give you our picks of the week. We've got one, two, three, four. It's like kind of five. We'll get to it in a little bit. We have an award to give out. We've got a lot of uh, new comics to share with you. We're going to tell you what collections are on sale, what's new on Marvel Unlimited, including Infinity Comics, and... We do have a reading club this week. Jazz, who is our guest and what are we talking about? We are talking to Marvel Comics editor
1: Lindsay Kohick. She edits uh, a couple of the Spider-Man books, including Black Cat, which we're talking about today. Uh, we're talking about Black Hat Queen in Black, which is an amazing little like, pocket within Jen McKay's Black Cat run. And anytime we get a chance to talk about Black Cat, especially that run, is very much welcomed by me. So I'm really excited to get to that.
0: As am I. But before we get there, we've got a bunch of picks to get to. It's a pretty stacked week. There's a lot of books. We so went back stacked. and forth between us trying to figure out what books we wanted to pick, which is why we ended up with kind of five to talk about. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to start first with Devil's Rain Moon Knight, number one. And I know everybody out there super hyped for Moon Knight right now. It is written by Jed McKay. Art by Federico Sabatini. Colors by Lee Lowridge. And letters by VCs Corey Pettit and if you need one issue to like sort of sum up who moon knight is this could be it this is a perfect like oh that's what moon knight is like that's what he's about that's a great character study it is action-packed it is scary it is weird it is full of cool random random villains don't get scared off by it being a devil's reign issue because devil's reign being the big marvel comics crossover that's going on right now all you need to know is that Moon Knight got arrested early on in the story because superheroes were being taken off the streets and, and Mayor Fisk is saying no superheroes in New York City. So they got Moon Knight, they put him in prison, this big private prison for super criminals called the Myrmidon, and that's where he's been for most of Devil's Reign. And we see in this issue what he's doing in there. He is sharing a cell with 8-Ball, you know famous character eight ball there's not much to say about
1: eight ball i mean he he's notorious
0: uh, yes everybody knows eight ball but it's uh we get to see Moon Knight just doing all kinds of stuff in here he gets himself thrown into like a fight club but before he gets into that there's this great sequence where he basically is pissed off too many people in the prison and they they tell him he's got to go to the showers when he gets into the showers there are five bad dudes with weapons and the guard who tricks him to go in there says, Don't come out till you're all clean, you hear? And so Moon Knight just says, You boys work fast. Don't waste time. I appreciate that. And then cut to the next page. The guard is counting his money and whistling. Moon Knight comes out covered in blood, saying, shower's broken. <laughs> just just so good. It's really intense. And then you get to see Moon Knight fight a bunch of random villains like boom slang. The uh, wonderful Mr. Fish, uh, which I'm wow. sure Tom Brevort was very happy about. Tom Brevort, Marvel Comics editor, loves, loves, loves Mr. Fish. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, I know. Killer Strike, uh, Cactus, Massacre, a whole bunch of characters. But the whole point of this comes when he gets into the title bout and you realize that Moon Knight didn't get apprehended. He intended to go to prison. And the whole payoff for this issue, uh, it is a tremendous terrifying bloody brutal exploration of this very violent sometimes misunderstood superhero in the marvel universe it doesn't get into any of the the personalities aspect of moon knight it really just shows that like moon knight is vengeance at times and that's a cool aspect of it
1: this issue reminds you that like he is a character who just gets the job done he will do whatever it takes and it's always been one of my favorite things about the character
0: yeah. Oh, so rad.
1: Next up is my pick of the week, and it is Captain Carter number one. It is written by Jamie McKelvey with art by Marika Cresta and colors by Erica Arsiniega. It's lettered by V.C. Clayton Cowles. This is Jamie McKelvey's first full issue as a writer at Marvel Comics, which is really exciting. Um, I always love to see when artists take over the writing of a book because... They have this visual mindset of when they write. like It's interesting to see that he's got an artist here, Marika Cresta, uh, working with him. But I, I'm like very curious to see what those scripts look like because he's one of my favorite artists like of all time. He's great. That's not to say that Marika Cresta doesn't deliver in this book. There are so many fun pages in this book. There are so many amazing pages in this book. She makes specific choices in the art and in the art direction. There is one page uh, towards the end of this book where Captain Carter takes a essentially a bazooka to her shield she's wearing like a business casual attire where she's wearing like a skirt and tights and her heels and one of her heels falls off and she continues the fight with only one heel on which i find so cool um like she's such a badass she doesn't let that distract her but like i mean if it was me i would take both of them off and continue the fight that way but it's just like a small detail to just kind of watch and see that she's just keeping her eyes on the prize But this book very much is less of an origin story as much as it is like bringing Captain Carter into the current timeline, similar to Steve Rogers after she gets the serum and she fights in World War II. She is frozen in ice and is discovered in the present time. And that's the story that we get. We get her being unfrozen and having to adapt to the new reality. There's a lot of pleasant surprises in this book as well, one specifically being her partner that she's assigned in this book which is lizzie braddock which if you are familiar with that character it's elizabeth braddock aka the current captain britain and seeing her with her purple hair just show up in this book brought a huge smile to my face but then we were talking earlier about how we kind of have five picks um and the next pick that i wanted to talk about kind of ties into this it's women of marvel number one which is an anthology of a bunch of short stories written by a bunch of different creators, all women creators. And it's a celebration of just all of our great, like, female heroes, including Black Cat, Squirrel Girl, Black Widow. Um, we get this amazing introduction by Gail Simone, who pretty much tells the story about how it was, you know, being one of the only women in comics for a time after she see- saw all these legends leave the industry, like Louis Simonson, Anna Senti, Marie Severin, Joe Duffy, Devin Grayson. And how she played this role in the industry as like the in-between because after her there were so many other women who came in and filled the rest of that room with her and it's a four-part kind of five-part story that is told throughout this entire book um, which is really fun because each one is Black Hat going on a different heist. On top of that, we get a story called Real Witches, which is a a short little Scarlet Witch story, which I thought was pretty adorable. That's done by Marika Adolfo. There's a short story called Showing Up by Jordi Belair and Zoe Thorogood, and it's so heartwarming. It's a Jessica Jones story, and it's about dealing with, like, you know, particular trauma or dealing with, you know, your issues and not necessarily running away from them, and how half the battle is just showing up. We have Charlie Jane Anders, who does a story about. Both Squirrel Girl and Black Widow
0: called that was my favorite of the.
1: It's called Comb Foot, and the reason for the name you'll you'll find out when you read it. It's actually a really funny line. It's written by Charlie Jane Andrews, who you might know her from her work over at IO Nine. She wrote a book called All the Birds in the Sky, and has another. She's so good. She's so good. I I
0: I I don't get to read many books these days, but I remember reading that pre-pandemic All the Birds in the Sky. Oh, it's such a pretty book.
1: Like I said, I followed her entire career. I look up to her and when I saw her name pop up in this book, I was like, I can't believe she's writing for us. The last page of this book is a scene featuring Black Widow and Squirrel Girl and they're talking about their identities as superheroes and like the superhero names and where they come from. And Black Widow has a panel where she says something reflecting on her own superhero name, right? Like Black Widow wasn't a name that was given to her. Um, So what does that mean when she's still using it? Like how did she managed to essentially like reclaim it. And I'm going to read this this last panel. It's Not necessarily a spoiler, but she essentially says, that name was given to me a long time ago by some very bad people. I've had to fight to take it back. That's the thing about identities. You make them your own by living as hard as you can and screw anyone else who tries to define you. And ugh, thank you, Charlie Jane Andrews. This is so good. Like, give me more, please. And finally, we have one last story in this book, which caught me by surprise because I wasn't expecting a Shauna the She-Devil story to pop up anytime soon, but that happens. It's told by Rihanna Pratchett. And this is all I'm going to say. If you are a fan of Laura Dern's character in Jurassic Park, this is very much like a very similar type of Comic and storytelling like it not only brings Shayna into the spotlight but it very much justifies how important she is and how powerful she is outside of just being you know next to her husband all the time like she is her own hero in her own right and then last thing we get in this book is a splash page with all these different books that you know are pretty much recommendations for where to continue reading about these characters and I really liked it because this book is a number one it's an anthology it's you know it's a great way if, if you're intimidated by comic books this is a way to kind of get your foot in the door and read some of these books. And then when you get to that last page, there are books that are even out this week that are in there. And it kind of gives you a, a palette of like, here are all these different stories you can look at, the ones that are that feature female superheroes. And I can't recommend that enough. Like, I think that is a, a nice way to kind of get into the Marvel universe
0: without feeling intimidated. All right. Look, we still got two more picks left because we can do whatever the hell we want. It's our yeah. show. We are talking about my next pick, which is a big big launch for us it is Punisher number one and it's been a little while since we've had a Punisher book this one I've been hearing about for a very long time and now that it's here it's in our hands I'm very excited it's written by Jason Aaron beautiful beautiful art by Jesus Saiz and Paul Azaceta with colors by Dave Stewart letters by VCs Corey Pettit a ton of variant covers In regular covers, it is... This book is gorgeous. Let's just put that right out there. And it is also incredibly violent and devastating and gory and intense. Yep, Which, it's a Punisher book. This is not like kittens and flowers, y'all. This is beheadings and stabbings and mutilations and and brutal fight scenes.
1: It shocked me how much we saw. Like, I'm thinking of one particular panel where we see a certain head be chopped off, Yeah, it's floating, like in midair, just hanging out in the air after being sliced off by Frank Castle. Yeah.
0: In a lot of ways, though, this is a new origin story of Frank Castle right now. And I'm not, don't get me wrong. It's not a new origin story for Frank Castle. Everything that we know about the Punisher remains. Uh, We actually open on a retelling of a seminal moment, the most would say the most important moment in... Getting the Punisher to where Frank Castle became the Punisher and that is, you know, drawn beautifully by Paul as Seta. And then Jesus Saiz comes in to draw the the modern pieces in here where If you don't know Frank Castle's with the hand and you may be like what the hell? Uh, we got a little taste of this recently during Devil's Reign. You got a little hint But now we are full in and figuring out how why where what it all means. And there are very clear answers to that in this issue. You very clearly find out why Frank Castle is doing what he's doing in this issue. There are many questions still remaining, but this is a wonderfully told blunt instrument to your face of like, this is the new Frank Castle storyline. This is the Punisher. It does. And you, you read it and you're like, okay, well, huh. And like, there's a scene in here where, Frank Castle is standing over a room full of, I will quote, murderers who went free, rapists, abusers of children from all parts of the world. And what does Punisher do to them? You could take a guess, but it is intense. We get the the how of Punisher getting into this situation. Beautiful vistas. There's a shot of a helicopter dropping Frank Castle off where he now is. And it is gorgeous stuff. Just I'm the simple. Chills. Yeah. Like
1: literally getting chills thinking about like some of the... Like I have, I don't have it open, but I'm like remembering, you know, some of these scenes and even like the scene in his
0: apartment. Oh, the scene in his apartment, a very important point of us getting to this era of Frank Castle. One of the things that I absolutely loved is there are no sound effects. Mm-mm. There are some captions from another character who I won't go into here of their point of view of the events. We're not getting Frank Castle's point of view of this stuff. It is them watching Frank do what he does versus a whole group of people in his apartment. And if there's no sound effects. You are getting like these snapshots and you can feel the tension. You feel the yes. horror. You feel the violence. And it's not glorified violence. I don't want to. I want to make sure that that's clear. It is very clearly telling a story of how Frank Castle is the way he is and why he's doing what he's doing now. Masterful comics right here. And if you're like, you know, you're like, yeah, Punisher, kill all the people. Get ready for a ride. Get ready yeah. for a ride. Let's move on. We got one more pick because this week is a weird week in that we're getting two issues of Wolverine. We're getting 10 lives and X deaths and we went back and forth of like what to pick, but I just decided we got to talk about yes. X deaths of Wolverine number four because man, what an issue. The 10 lives issue. Terrific. It's great. There's a whole bunch of things we'll get into a little bit later. Um, and that is more focused on the time travel aspects. The X deaths is the, the current Krakoa story with hints of like Omega Wolverine coming from the future. But there's a scene in which a character wears another person's skin. Ugh.
1: Not in a fun Deadpool wearing glob <laughs> right. as a suit to get into Krakoa, but in a yeah. similar way.
0: In like a, I carved this person's skin off their Ugh. body in order to do Ew. a thing. And it is, I had to look at it three times to go, oh no, Go no, go, go. I
1: I was like, literally the minute I saw it, after I read that page, I was like racing through my head like, is there any way that this could have been done without having to like murder the character and like not Ugh. be painful? And it's like, no, there's nope. no other way.
0: Yeah. All credit to writer Benjamin Percy for putting this out there and making <sighs> this happen. And and then artist Federico Vicentini, who brings it to gorgeous, horrifying life colors on this by Dijolima letters and design by VCs, Corey Pettit, as always, Tom Muller, great, great designs. And if you've been paying attention to the, just the design aspects of x lives and 10 deaths how each issue subtly changes and certain things that are revealed as we go through the storyline i love it love those those touches i don't want to get into too deep of the spoilers but this is the big moira pissed off and angry storyline because of all the things that have been done to her and and the back and forth like everyone is wrong everyone has done horrible things everyone is also kind of right Everyone is like, there's just so many shades of gray going on throughout this storyline. But maybe the most emotionally resonant scene in a comic for me this week comes in this issue in which you've got Omega Wolverine. So this Omega, this Wolverine from the future, which got the, all this what looks like techno-organic phalanx virus going through him. He is with his family of this current time so you've got akihiro aka docken laura aka wolverine gabby aka scout there's a scene in here in this issue of x desk that reminds me in Mm -hmm. all those devastating ways those like conversations where you're telling someone who is doing what they think is good and will help people and could further humanity and saying no what you're doing here kills everyone Yeah. Please. And like pleading with someone, Wolverine has to explain to him, this is my family. He tells the man that he's talking to, the scientist, how each of them dies and it like crushed me. Oh, yes. Oh, it's it's a devastating scene.
1: You're right. Like it does remind you a lot of that scene and it carries those like same emotional beats and like it brings the humanity to this story.
0: yeah. Yeah. It is, this is like full high octane, exciting X Men stuff that is also. Emotionally devastating, heartbreaking, brutal, bloody. Uh, the last page is like this big, scary, scary image. This one sort of like elevated the entirety of lives and deaths to me. And it's it's just gross. Like, <laughs> it's
1: just gross. Like I, I mean, we've seen other characters kind of like undergo this type of transformation, but never like this. And it's,
0: oof. yeah, woof, well, woof indeed. All right, we have to move on because we have many books to talk about. And as is our tradition, we're going to give you an award pulled from a quote in a comic book this week. And we want to shout out last week's quote finder, Bilal Alayan, who found our quote from Iron Man number 17 because Iron Man talking about Doom and talking about pizza parties, come on, you gotta love it.
1: Yeah, that was the Doom Carries No Napkins Award. Yeah.
0: What a good name. If you find this quote, you can screen cap it and you can tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel If you're the first, Ryan may send you a surprise fun thing. All right. You ready for this week's name? Yes, Jasmine. What is the quote? We're going to go with the damn it. Now I need a crepe award. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. And yeah. like
1: also, who doesn't love a good crepe
0: uh, or crep. And I think we're going to say it in different ways, which is good. Uh, So that's going to be the name of the award we give to each of the books, something that we really want to highlight from those issues. Um, Jasmine, do you want to start off or do you want me to? Um, Okay. First
1: up, we have Amazing Spider-Man 92. And uh, right off the bat, I want to give my, damn it, now I want a Crepe Award to The way that the last week's villain that was introduced, that was behind Door Z, is tied to another (laughs) hero or another villain anti-hero that i wasn't expecting and it is so bonkers it makes sense for the beyond corporation but at the same time like what is going on here and at the end we get a little bit more of it like not only are we going to make is are they all going to fight and help spidey out but also there is something kind of cooking in the background which is very interesting, and I'm I'm very curious to see where the team take it
0: into the future. All right, we've got Devil's Reign number five. Nearly could have been one of my picks of the week, and it is big. There's lots of fights and and uh, actually some intense emotional moments in here. But I want to give my damn it now I want a crep award to artist Marco Caceto because. There's so many beautiful, big, intense things throughout this issue. There's a shot of abomination landing in this issue. It's like half a page. He, it feels like it's three times the size of the actual page you're looking on. There's like this weird cognitive dissonance that I get when I look at it. And it's something that he that Marco Caqueto does or, or emotional beats. Stuff that happens with Mike Murdoch. There's some things going on with Kingpin. Big fight scene out in the middle of New York City with superheroes and supervillains and all kinds of wild stuff. And it's like, how did one human do this? And it is incredible.
1: All right. Next up, we have Devil's Reign Superior 4, uh, number three. This is a conclusion to the short tie-in featuring Dr. Ock and his you know, superior friends. And I want to give my damn it, now I want a crepe award to the creative team on this book because I was not expecting this to kind of tie in, um, but we kind of got a taste of it in the last issue. But there is a, another way that Dr. Ock gets his forearms back. He's currently imprisoned by the superior Doc Ock and he gets his arms back in a very interesting way and manages to escape with this. And, That was very well done, but also the ending of it ties all of this together, and we get to see a world, a new world in the background. It's only for one page, maybe two panels, and I want more of that. I don't know what's going on over there, but I want
0: more of that. I want more of it as well. Amen. All right, up next is Eternals number 10, another friggin' book that we could have picked up Mm -hmm. top. It was stupendous this is a big storyline in which the the eternals want to go to the avengers headquarters to like talk to their god because the avengers are living inside one of the eternals dead gods it's probably not a good thing not the best move for anyone but you've got that going on you've got thanos has found out that his parents have resurrected so he wants to kill them again just horrifying stuff going on there all that and i still want to give my damn it now i want to crep award to cersei and namor because dude, we get like two pages of them being like oh you want to tickle i want to i'm tickle. so upset that we
1: only got two right pages.
0: give me a whole series of yes. them flirting yes. and then like you know whatever happens happens they're consenting adults let them do their thing and like Man, I'd love that. The chemistry, sparks flying. Oh, so much. This book rules, 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 rules.
1: All right. Next up, we have Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, number five. This is the last in the miniseries. And uh, so we get a, a short Young Avengers reunion here between Kate Bishop, America Chavez, Stinger, Cassie Lang. And despite all that, like I could have easily given it to that. I want to give my damn it. Now I want crepes award to... Lucky the Pizza Dog, who is, as always, the MVP of this series. And in one particular scene, he manages to uh, get a specific type of power. And what he does with it is delightful and very well-deserved. He is the goodest boy, and I love him.
0: All right, next we have Sabretooth number two. I want to give my damn it. Now I want to Crep award to The Secrets of the Pit, the big Krokoan kind of prison even though they have no prisons um yeah they do they got a prison in Krakoa and we find out a lot more about it this issue and what it means for Sabretooth and the other prisoners
1: next up we have Spider-Gwen Gwen Gwen verse number one this is a new series starring uh Spider-Gwen which is exciting it's very much a multiversal story there's a lot going on that I don't want to get into because I don't want to spoil anything but I want to give my damn it now I want Crepes award to an appearance by a variant of a villain from our universe from the 616 I think she's a hero but the she bodega bandit makes an appearance in this book and look she's just doing her thing spider Gwen's coming in and kicking her butt for no reason like she is just trying to be the liberator of the lunch meats that's all she wants
0: Right, we've got a pair of Star Wars titles out this week. I'm going to take those. We've got Star Wars Crimson Reign number three. I'm going to give my Damn it Now I Want a CREP award to uh, the Archivist, the character at the core of it. I mean, the issue is called the Archivist. So It's this character <laughs> who uh, is a scholar. and She's kind of force sensitive, but like her journey into this issue i mean i'm basically giving my award to the story but it's it's cool i was wrapped up in in her path and what she's gone through and where she gets from point a to point b and how it all factors into like order 66 and all the kind of star warsy business around it so um, she's a neato mosquito character and i hope we see more of her neato mosquito yeah and we also have star wars han solo and chewbacca number one which it starts out with like Han and Chewie doing their business. It's a little bit of a younger Han and Chewie. They're working for Jabba the Hutt. We get to see tons of really fun alien designs throughout this. There may be a, I'm just going to say Greedo's in this. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. If you're a Star Wars fan, like that's pretty neat to get into. But I will give my, damn it, now I want a crap award to the last bit. The big, wait a minute, your who, your who <laughs> moment. Because I was like, oh, cool. That's not something I expected at all. Neato.
1: All right, next up we have Strange Academy number 17. This is the penultimate issue before we take a short hiatus for the summer because obviously school is out in the summer. But I mean, there's so many things I can give this book, but I want to give my damn it, now I want Crepes Award to the amount of teenage angst and particularly the brooding. There's so much brooding in this book and I love it. It is tasty and
0: I love this book so much. I, I love these characters. Alright, we've got Thor number 23, the big finale to the God of Hammers arc. I'm gonna give my damn it now I want a crep award to Thor because he's angry, he is sad, he is resourceful, he weaponizes the Rainbow Bridge. And that blew my mind. I was like, Donnie, you madman, you beautiful, beautiful madman. Donnie Kate's coming up with there's really great like fighting moments, but also Very sad, sweet, heartfelt moments throughout this issue where you're like getting to the emotional core of a character. And even someone is like stoic and like, I'm a man's man, because that's what Asgardians sound like as Thor. Yeah, it's okay to cry, bro. Do it. Let it out. Yeah, let Let it it out. And all that. Plus something cool I noticed while I was reading it. I got to the end and had a preview, the cover art for the next issue. And I was like, wait a minute. I remember seeing a press release for Thor number 24, which is actually Thor number 750. And the cover for Thor number 750 looked a little bit different when we released it online. I'm just going to say that. Go look (laughs) at them, compare them, enjoy.
1: I want to quickly just shout out this cover by Karen S. Darbo of Magnus Art and Ian Herring because there's a Women's Month variant cover here that is absolutely stunning. It is a... Just a a total character study of Runa, the the Valkyrie that we've seen in Jane Foster's Valkyrie's book. Yeah. Next up, we have Venom number six, and I want to give my damn it. Now I want a crepe award to this one scene. It's a small little joke, but it made me laugh so much. There's a bike gang all discussing what happened. They got attacked at a warehouse, and one of the like the grunts is trying to tell the leader, you know, what it was, and he's like, you know, the news is always talking about them, the cinnamon boats. And, and the, the leader's just like, what? He's like, do you mean symbiotes? And he's like, yeah, those. And I laughed out loud for a solid, like, five minutes.
0: Um, all right. We're getting towards the end. Two more X-Books to go. We've got 10 Lives of Wolverine number four. And I will say, yes, we picked X-Deaths of Wolverine number four. is one of our picks. But 10 Lives rules. And also, if you're reading both, read 10 Lives before you read X-Deaths. So there's a thing that happens in Ten Lives that is reflected in X Deaths. Just be aware of that. That's all I want to say. I will give my damn it now. I want a crep award to uh, a big chunk of this book that's set during the Weapon X story, the original, the one that was uh, written and drawn by Barry Windsor Smith. Here it is. Josh Cassara just goes really gnarly and throwing some weird stuff. And Benjamin Percy, all Benjamin Percy's all over it, and it's friggin' great and weird and cool and dark and gory and. I like it. Our last
1: book of the week is X-Men Legends number 12, and it is a story that takes place during the Excalibur era, actually right before Excalibur, with Nightcrawler and Kitty Pride. And I want to give my, damn it, now I want to crepe awards to Destiny, because who doesn't love more Destiny in their lives? She is just the best.
0: Yeah. Uh, and reminder, if you haven't already, go read X-Men number nine from last week with some of the best dunking on Gambit that Destiny could ever do. It is truly a work of art. Alright, let's talk about the collections on sale this week. There's a whole bunch of stuff. If you like an omnibus, you got two Doctor Strange Omnibi out this week. X-Men Trial of Magneto is yes, yes it is collected. But for me, most important, it's the collection of Savage Avengers Volume 5, The Defilement of All Things by the Cannibal Sorcerer Kulin Goth. Culminating the completion of one of my all-time favorite series
1: how did they fit that on the spine of the book like i feel like that title magic. is longer than the spine magic probably. yeah there's probably. some sort of sorcery
0: evil sorcery goes on some in there.
1: cannibalistic sorcery that had to go into that spine yeah. all right well outside of that we have all these digital floppies coming to MU, we have a couple standouts. We have The Death of Dr. Strange White Fox. I would recommend reading that if you are uh, following the current Iron Fist book. Um, New Mutants number 23, which is always a gem, as well as X-Men The Trial of Magneto 4, which I can't recommend that book enough. I recommend it to so many people.
0: Yeah, uh, over on the Infinity Comic side of things, we've got X Men Unlimited Infinity Comic number twenty-five, which I believe is the final part of uh, Declan Shalvey's follow-up to the original X Men Unlimited story that we did a couple months back. It's a banger. We love Deck. We've got Life of Wolverine Infinity Comic number eight, Marvel Fairy Tales Infinity Comic number four, and. The launch this week of Alligator Loki Infinity Comic Number One It is very exciting. It is written by Alyssa Wong, drawn by Robert Quinn. Just a quick description is, quote, family bonding. Alligator Loki and Thor get to know one another at an Asgardian amusement park. If that does not make you want to sign up for Marvel Unlimited and read it right now, you have no soul. Yes. Who doesn't want more Alligator Loki in their life? All right, so good. Also so good, our friggin' Black Cat comic books. And we are going to dive into a tremendous Black Cat story, the Queen in Black arc. And we are doing that with Marvel Comics editor Lindsay Kohik, who is joining us for a reading club right now. Jasmine. Are yes. you ready to talk about one of our favorite runs of comics here on Marvel Oh, you have playlist. no idea!
1: I'm so pumped. I, I mean, I so have a
0: good ready. idea. We've been talking about this for a little while. I know.
1: It's like the and it's like not only is it like I'm so excited, it's also like probably one of my favorite arcs in the series.
0: It's damn friggin' great comics, and we are talking about Black Cat, Queen and Black. And to do that, we are bringing on one of the editors of the run, assistant editor at Marvel Comics, Lindsay Kohick. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, thank you for having me. For folks who are listening, can you tell
1: us a little bit more about what you do?
2: Yes, Um, so I'm an assistant editor at Marvel. I work in the Spider-Man office with Nick Lowe and some other lovely spider editors. And I've been working on Amazing Spider-Man for a while, um, Spider-Woman, Silk. I worked on Miles Morales briefly, and I've worked on Black Cat, which has been one of my favorite things to work on. So that's why we're talking about it. (laughs) yeah um i also solo edit uh, demon days with peach momoko which yeah. is like you know, not not technically a spider-man related title but has a special place in my heart <laughs>
0: gorgeous <laughs> yeah we, we should talk about that book too because i mean gosh it's so good but let's rewind a little bit um what's your history with comics
2: all right so i get a little bit imposter syndrome sometimes because i did not read marvel comics growing up like i knew of them obviously like just through absorbing pop culture. I loved the X-Men, I was reminiscing the other day about how I used to print out images of the X-Men from the internet and cut them up and like make my own comic books when I was a kid.
0: I I love that, that's awesome.
2: (laughs) I found them like a little while back and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot I used to do this. I did read, I think like a Nightcrawler comic at one point. So I love Nightcrawler, he's still probably my favorite X-Men. But I didn't read many American comics growing up. I read manga instead, I was huge manga and anime nerd <laughs> throughout uh middle school, high school and into college. But when I was in college, I went to see a movie called Thor with my dad and I was like, "Hey, this is really great. I love this." Um because I'm also a huge like mythology nerd. Then I started reading Thor comics and it was just kind of all downhill from there uh, or uphill. <laughs>
0: You know, it's interesting as you, we talk about this and your your interest and your passion and your love for manga and anime and thinking about Black Cat comics, there's emotion and kineticism to this that does feel like it's very akin to a very exciting shonen, you know, manga. We should set the stage yes. a little bit for what we're talking about, because this is the second quote unquote series of Black Cat. I kind of like it because... I'm a fan. I think we should have more seasonal releases mm-hmm. of, of series. I think that helps. So, having a number one, you know, and then having another number one a year later or whatever it is, I think it could benefit people. It feels like you know? TV. It's like, all right, we have it a does. season
2: premiere. Like, let's go. Yeah.
0: Lindsay, do you want to explain a little bit of where Black Hat was coming into this run and what it, some of the big highlights from the first run?
2: Absolutely. And I think that that, what you're talking about, is one of the reasons why this Queen in Black, like three part uh, story still sticks out to me because it was never uh, in the original plan and the reason that it exists this way is, is because of the pandemic and we were supposed to go to issue 13 I think on the first arc the first run and then the pandemic happened and we had to put a lot of stuff on pause and, and Black Cat was one of those books and we never got to do issue 13 and instead it became issue four of the new series and when we were bringing it back also happened to line up with King and Black and they're like, let's launch uh, Black Cat again with King and Black, and like, you know, go back in with a bang. And tie-ins are very tricky; uh, <laughs> they are done really well sometimes, and sometimes they're just they're harder to pull off. Um, and I was so impressed with how Jed pulled this one off and made it feel very much like it was part of the plan all along, and like it fit mm-hmm. um, with the larger story he was trying to tell. He didn't just like drop everything else to tell this story; he wove bits of. you know his story into it and made this in itself like over the top two costume changes type of like (laughs) uh black cat (laughs) craziness that i was just like this is great um it's a new number one which i had some mixed emotions about i kind of like the continuation when you can get a continuation also the chance to do a
1: black cat issue number 13.
2: we had lucky and unlucky variant covers prepared with oh, 13 i think so cool. that is the thing that i like am the most sad about like you know oh. the numbering aside i was like oh, we almost had a, a black cat issue 13 awesome
0: yeah the the event is king and black and there's all all kinds of stuff going on yeah so the it's written by jed mckay art on the first three issues by cf via uh we may get into issue number four or a little bit further into it with issue five um nina vaqueva on four michael dowling on five i mean this is just an incredible roster of artists colors by the mighty brian reber letters by ferran delgado um and then those covers Y'all getting Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia to do some covers, looking Mm -hmm. so good. How important, in your opinion, is it for casting a cover artist?
2: It is obviously very important because it's the face of the book, essentially. So, you know, fans are generally always going to pick up the book when they see the title. But people who have never read Black Cat um, or any other series and they're looking at, you know, their wall of comics at the comic shop. So, I mean, we can talk about it later. But the cover to number three Queen in Queen and Black is like one of my favorite Black Cat covers. It's so um, good, yeah. Which is saying something, because there's a lot of good ones.
0: <laughs> wanted to make sure if anybody, any of our listeners don't know the King and Black event, it's a, it was the big sort of Venom-based storyline where the King and Black Null came back to Earth to. Canole. came back to earth to eat his pizza and hang out with his kids and then he just you know he left and so in the midst of all that there's chaos and blood and nightmare stuff and what is black cat's sort of mission for these first three issues
2: yeah so her mission in uh queen and black is well dr strange in the beginning of the event gets uh, kidnapped essentially by null and um by, by Knoll and is held in a <laughs> in a prison a goo prison uh, on the top of the Chrysler building I believe and so in the first issue of Queen and Black Captain America tasks Black Cat with rescuing Dr. Strange because she is the number one thief in the Marvel universe and if anyone can steal from an evil symbiote god it's Felicia Hardy
1: This little arc, this three issue arc has so many Easter eggs from like, just like the Marvel universe, as well as like, if you're if you don't know who Black Cat is, like, you get a good sense of who she is in these three issues. By the time we get to issue three, we've learned so much history. He's nailed so many beats throughout her like past in just like two pages. And I'm like,
0: wow, that is insane. I mean, speaking of the way he's pulled in but made them fresh and new, Black Cat has a crew. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. Dr. Corpse and Bruno. And when the, the first series started, I was like, oh, these are cool characters. These are – I'm I'm glad they created these characters for the series and not realizing that they've been around for decades, decades as part of Black Cat's story but not really used a ton especially when I was reading stories about black cat in the nineties, when she would show up or even in the two thousands, they, they were just like off the table, whatever it is. They've been such fun, integral parts of her story. And like, they're just her boys and they're quirky and weird and fun. And I'm looking at the last page of issue number one of this run. And there's a look on Bruno's face and Dr. <laughs> Corpse's face. When Felicia says, we're going to steal Dr. Strange. And, the uh, Bruno, I swear, that looks like an anime face. That looks He's like awesome. a, a manga face. He's got the, like, there's a look on his face. and It's so good. It goes back to some of the stuff we talked about. While there's also the kineticism throughout this issue, there's there's just that vibe. It just comes across. It's It's real, real fun.
2: Yeah. CF is a master, I think, of facial expressions as well as body language. And I want to say that he has some inspiration from manga. Like, that's in my brain for some reason, but I'm not substantiating it with anything. Regardless, it does have that that vibe. Should we move on to issue number two?
0: I think that's a great idea. Let's move on to issue number two. We're in Alchemex. We've got uh, Black Cat and her crew. So we get into this. the The plan is in action. They got to steal Doctor Strange. They're using some anti venom. We kind of have an idea of like what the
1: the plan is. Black Cat and the crew start developing what the scheme is going to look like. Um, what this new heist is going to look like. And I'm just very curious when. Jed McKay came to you guys and was like, all right, so here's how we're gonna break him out. We're gonna use two anti-venom bombs that are developed by this Dr. Steve over at Alchemix that were taken from a Canadian lab that pretty much worked on the Weapon H program. And then not only that, but we're gonna get Bats the Dog, who is a ghost uh, that lives with Dr. Strange, who has interacted with Black Cat on you know previously, but we're gonna have him on a harness, on a baby harness, on Felicia's chest, right? As she rides a hobgoblin glider holding these two anti-venom bombs, um, one for herself, the other for Doctor Strange when she gets inside. And then they're gonna use a portion of the eager cell to like pretty much defeat this bad guy. What did that look like on paper? And how many times did you call him crazy?
2: (laughs) I do distinctly remember the words baby Bjorn uh, in the (laughs) script (laughs) for describing how they carry bats around. (laughs) Um, And that just delighted me to no end. I was really excited when he brought bats back because they, like you mentioned, they interacted um, in the, the story where she stole from the sanctum sanctorum back in the first volume. So that was a fun reappearance. Also, it, it
1: seems like he's developed a relationship with, it's not Doc, with right? It's the other it's Dr. Corpse. Yeah, with Corpse, with yes. Dr. Corpse. <laughs> and it's like, he's so <laughs> embarrassed that he has this friendship with a ghost dog. And I love that Felicia's like, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to call your friend that you think that we don't all know that you have. And he's just like, okay, fine. <laughs> and then later on, he gets like dunked on by like- By Bruno. By Bruno. Yeah. And Bruno's <laughs> like, this is ridiculous and he like even just like the way he like laughs he's just like sure is man best man's best friend he just like bursts (laughs) into like a little like laugh and chuckle to himself
2: i love that so much and i mean we talked about bruno and corpse in issue one but like they are two of my favorite uh features of the black cat run just like the fact that she has these two normal guys they're, they're weird in their own ways, but like they're otherwise normal guys who just pal around with her and like, you know, fight symbiote gods and break into the, the, the Dr. Strange's place in the Fantastic Four's house. They're great. And they're just like her rider dies.
0: Mm hmm yeah it's it's exciting then we get the return of the the spider buggy there's the big chase scene and dragons and all kinds of it just like go 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 it's very exciting very fun they tra- they kind of trash the buggy which i'm sure nick Lowe was was cackling about all this action <laughs> as it was going on but we get into the last couple of pages and we see felicia makes kind of a bad decision but kind of the best decision the best decision to, yeah. the best decision she she takes the piece of the world tree and she's like well what if i used it it was strange didn't get to you but i'm right here and everybody's like no 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 please no she does it she grabs it she uses it and then boom we get another amazing character design so um, good were these designed by cf or um you know what, what was the process for developing these looks
2: yeah. CF um, designed these as far as I know. I mean, obviously he sends things to us and he's like, what do you think? And we're always like, that's amazing CF. You're great. <laughs> um, yeah. He designed this Asgardian look for Felicia. I love it so much. And I have dreams of cosplaying it one day. <laughs> yes. But, so thinking back on the process for how this was made, I don't know how much I was keyed into the planning process. Cause it was also like uh, coming off of furlough and like, getting back into work. So I remember reading the scripts and not quite knowing exactly what was going to be happening as I was reading them. And I got to this point and I was like, we're doing another costume change. I was like, this is nuts, but it's the best kind of nuts. And we can't not do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Especially after CF drew it. And I was like, oh my God.
1: (laughs) I remember reading this issue when it came out and I was just like shocked because I didn't even like rereading it now, I was like, oh, yeah, like the third issue is where she gets the like Asgardian power. But I completely forgot that the reveal is at the end of that issue. Like it's not like a cliffhanger or anything like that. It's very much like, all right, round three, here we go. Mm-hmm. There's multiple costume changes in this one issue, and I love it.
0: What is really interesting about this issue, well, we're getting to number three. This is such a great example of a way to fit a, a cool story. Into a giant line wide crossover and still hit the beats that you need to hit that can connect to the things that need to go on for that story, but also give us deep character moments and and plot points and things that those of us who are reading Black Cat before this and after this need for this character i mean there's so much going on that happens within felicia's mind and tells us so much more about her about her wants her desires her history her future it's really something special
1: yeah especially like the history part of it um because like my mind went straight to like her like origin stories around her power and how she she came about getting that power and it's like i like immediately was like oh i can only imagine like what's going through her head and then like Issue three is like, all right, here's what's going on in her head as she's fighting these giant goo monsters.
2: You asked and Jed answered. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, and the decision that she makes to take the branch of Yggdrasil is also so great to me because it's not like she just does it without thinking about it. Like she thinks about it and she's like, okay, we literally have no other plays here. Uh, We're all going to die unless I do something. And like, she's very like, she takes things into her own hands, even at possibly her own expense and like even if she's a villain or an anti-hero in the past or whatever like her heroic moments that come through are so special um and make her like so fascinating and i love her so much (laughs) all
0: right we'll we'll round out because uh some of our listeners might be reading through the collected edition which includes Issue number four, which is takes a little bit of a different turn. We we follow some other stuff going on. The King and Black stuff is done. But we instead see Lily Hollister. But she tries to play the hero as queen cat and defeat her black cat. But we do get some really cool character moments in here, some conversations. I literally just read the arc where she is introduced. But Lily is
1: brought into a particular arc where her dad is running for, I believe... The mayor of New York City. (laughs) Yeah. And she's dating Harry Osborn at the time. She's pretty much a jerk because she tricks Spider-Man, a.k.a. Peter Parker, by like teasing him and like actually kissing him behind Harry's back to try to get him on her side. And she ends up being Menace, which is a goblin variant. And she's essentially causing all of these issues with the campaign, like she's attacking the campaign to essentially create and generate drama around her dad and like trying to frame her as like, look, bad guys hate him. It's because he's so tough on crime and like he's gonna be so good for the New York and all this other stuff. And I believe she dies at the end of that arc, or at least it's kind of alluded to that she like pretty much drowns um, or she just disappears. Uh, she falls into the Hudson, I believe. But she's essentially like, she's a schemer. Like she's probably on par with, with Felicia, but doesn't really have superpowers until that arc.
2: And then she picks up the queen cat identity in access in access.
0: access. Yeah. Yeah. She says Lily Hollister was poison cancer. She destroyed everything she touched. Um, So like there's cool stuff going on with her. And Felicia's like, man, you got a lot of baggage. I like, (laughs) I get it. Do your thing. Figure your out, man. Like it's cool. But at the end of it, she says, but you still stole from me and beat up my guy and there's a price that comes with that and then just knocks her the f out which she could have done instantly it's like this just straight badass awesome moment again we get a lot of character work for Alicia without Alicia necessarily needing to be there the entire time it's it's cool like this almost felt like oh cool we could get a queen cat book coming out of this and it would have been rad as hell so yeah
2: this was going to be issue 13 and we are so excited to get Nina Vacueva uh, drawing it. And I, I'm a huge fan of her art, and um, so excited when she agreed to do this issue. And I think it it's well placed because it it rehashes everything that happened in Volume One, but from Queen Cat's perspective. Um, so you go back to the Frick Collection, which was like Issue One of Volume One. Every time I see it, I think it's so funny because
1: Avengers Mansion is essentially located where the Frick Collection is. And every time that they're inside of it, I'm like, wait, what? No, that doesn't. (laughs) They coexist
2: somehow Yeah, uh, (laughs) in the Marvel universe.
0: Well, there's more Black Cat that fans can read on Marvel Unlimited. They can go pick up the collections and read all these amazing Black Cat issues. If you're going to talk about the collection, there's one more thing in the collection that is amazing.
1: So if you do pick up the trade, which I highly recommend, at the very end of the, the collection is... Jed's very first Marvel story, which is very short, and it was printed in uh, X Men to Serve and Protect, issue number four. There is a story about Dazzler and the Daughters of the Dragon. So you get Misty and Colleen, Misty Knight. Yeah, you get both Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, in that have been like teleported to like participate in the Contest of Champions to fight against all of these different uh, bad guys in what is essentially a giant roller derby. It is so good and so funny. And the ending is just like, you don't see it coming. It's, it's just ridiculous. It's probably one of the funniest things I've ever read. And the art
0: is so gorgeous. Before we let you go, we do want to tease. You got, a, you got obviously a, a bunch of projects you're working on, Amazing Spider-Man you've mentioned and, and other stuff, but we got a new book coming soon called Iron Cat. What can you tell us about that?
2: Iron Cat is, uh, as the name might suggest, spinning out of black cat in a way Uh, In issues 11 and 12, I believe, of the previous volume, we introduced, well, um, one of the heists that Felicia went on was to steal from Tony Stark. And in the process of stealing from him, she crafted this, uh, she fabricated this Iron Cat armor, uh, and she used it to fight Tony Stark and distract him while she did her heisty thing. And uh, it was such a cool design, designed by Sia And such a cool concept and a cool character. And Jed had some ideas for what he wanted to do with it that we were given the go-ahead to do an Iron Cat miniseries. And it's going to be great. Perry Perez is drawing it, coming off of Spider-Woman. And he's great. Jed's writing it. Jed's great, obviously. It's going to be a lot of fun. So is Felicia in the suit? Going to have to read to find out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait and see, true believer. Stop trying to get some secrets out out of poor Lindsay. Lindsay, thanks so much. We'll keep our eyes open for uh, for Iron Cat and all your other titles. Thanks for coming and chatting with us.
2: Thanks for having me on. It was so much fun getting to talk about my favorite girl, Felicia Hardy.
0: Thanks for reading and enjoying. It means a lot to us. Once again, big thanks to Lindsay Kohick. Uh, everybody go put Iron Cat on your poll list. We'll be talking about it, I'm sure. Uh, and getting very excited and probably picking it for I'm gonna go ahead and say it's already oh, yeah. gonna be one of our picks, if not every time an issue comes out. Sorry, not sorry.
1: Nope, not at all. I'm so excited for this book. Yeah, I seriously I can't wait. Just more Jed McKay, Black Cat,
0: um, and a mysterious iron cat. Ooh, we'll get more into that in due time. But that about wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill Duboc is
1: our director of audio.
0: And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List, manager of audio production and development. And uh, before he started at Marvel, Brad actually had opened uh, a, a crepe shop. It was called Crazy oh. for Crepes. He opened it in, um, in the uh, white plains airport i think it's the white plains airport up in westchester (laughs) new york uh thinking that there'd be a lot of people really excited for Krebs. and uh just didn't pan out
1: yeah not a lot of foot traffic at that airport bye everybody i'm ryan i'm jasmine this is marvel your universe